the answer, taught us the technique for being able to say in any situation, this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Yes. And remain standing. So I want to, first of all, I want to I say I'm so touched by listening to all of your sharings because I think that it's a miracle. It's a, it's a testimony to, it's a testimony to Tony's strength and dedication and wisdom and the, just the spirit of being a live person that she's here and teaching and written these three books and that you are too because every one of you who mentioned everyone and every one of you who didn't mention has somebody whose troubles are a weight in your heart and a concern to you. And we all got out of bed this morning and we all put on our shoes and socks and we all came here. People are very heroic for the most part they go on, and we go on with various degrees of grace. And I think that Tony's great addition to the to not only the um, community of people with chronic illness, but to all of us, is this, this is how to live life, which is a chronic illness anyway, uh, with grace. Just. She writes it. She has her practice has been doing it with a, a you know a fifty pound backpack all the time that you can't take off, and we all have backpacks of different kinds. So I'd love for you to read in your voice, and then I'll ask okay. you a whole bunch of questions. Okay. I uh, Tony and I drove over from Davis. Took about two and a half hours. A lot, lot. Well, a lot of traffic jams, and, um, and I thought, well, Sylvia might ask me to read from the book, and I actually got the book out in the car, and <laughs> went like this, and I landed on a chapter. Then I bookmarked it. That uh, I'm just going to read two pages from it. I just I landed on a chapter that means a lot to me personally because it's titled What the Chronically Ill Hope Others Will Understand. And so I'll I'll just read the first two pages. And it starts with this quote from Seneca. Well, we hope we assume he said it. <laughs> One of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and to be understood. I know what I hope the people in my life will understand about me. What has surprised me is that of the thousands of people who've written to me about living with chronic illness, almost every one of them has the very same wishes. And whenever I say chronic illness, I'm including chronic pain. This chapter is written out of love for my family and friends and with deep appreciation for everyone who cares about those who suffer from chronic illness. We can feel as if we're letting you down, even though you've repeatedly assured us that we're not. I could fill a notebook with examples from my own life, but I'll restrict myself to one. I have a weekly commitment to see my friend Richard for a short visit at a local cafe. Richard, who's dog-sitting today for us. <laughs> um, I go there instead of inviting him over because I think it's good for me to get out of the house. He's assured me many times that any day I'm too sick, I should cancel, even at the last minute, and he wouldn't, f and he wouldn't feel let down. I believe him. 
He's the type of person who wouldn't say it if he didn't mean it. Despite this, I always feel as if I'm failing him or disappointing him when I cancel. This is completely irrational on my part. Even so, it's how I feel. A few months ago, I woke up one day and knew immediately that I'd have to cancel our visit. I dashed off an email to him and we rescheduled for another day. But the next day, we rescheduled for the next day. But the next day, I was no better. He would have wanted me to cancel, but I didn't. Instead, I dragged myself to our usual meeting place because I couldn't shake the feeling that I'd be letting him down if I canceled again. Even though, as I've said, I believe him when he says I would not be. On my way home from our visit, I realized that I was holding myself to a standard, to a higher standard than I'd impose on any of my friends who were chronically ill. If I had a date with a friend who was sick or in pain, I'd feel the same way Richard feels about me. I'd want that friend to cancel. <clears throat> and yet here, I had insisted on pushing myself beyond what my body could handle. It would have been an act of self-compassion to have canceled that day. I'm aware of that now, and I'm trying to change. And then there's a second one I'll read. We may apologize for being sick and being in pain, even though you don't want us to. I'm surprised that after so many years of being sick, I can still find myself apologizing to people for not being able to do things and for the ways my illness has affected our relationship. I apologize even though they're not expecting me to and even though they don't want me to. Again, this is irrational, but I do it. In 2013, our friend Nee drove two hours from San Francisco to go out to lunch with my husband and me. She used to be our neighbor in Davis and now lives in San Francisco. When she arrived, I was too sick to go. I told her that she and my husband would have to go to lunch on their own and that I'd visit with her for a bit when they returned. I told her this, but not before profusely apologizing for not being able to go to lunch. Nee knew when we made the plans that I might not be able to go, but she was willing to take that risk anyway. She used to be our neighbor. Well, see, I forgot I had put that in the book. <laughs> I didn't need to tell you. Uh, she used to be our neighbor, so she's seen me at my worst. In fact, she's only known me as a person who struggles every day with chronic illness. She didn't expect or want an apology, but I issued one anyway. When my son Jamal and his family come to spend the day with us, there's no need for me to apologize when I have to retire to the bedroom, but I do it anyway. My husband is so used to my unnecessary apologies that he can look at my face and sense that one is on the way. <laughs> More than once before I've been able to get the words, I'm sorry I got sick, out of my mouth, he's already saying, you don't need to apologize. It's not your fault that you're sick. I've decided that it makes me feel better to apologize. It's my way of saying, I know that the effect of this illness on our relationship and on my inability to participate fully in whatever you're doing is no fun for you either. So to those who care about us, please forgive us for apologizing so much. There I go, apologizing for apologizing. <laughs>
Listen, Tony, on that note, that, that's a very beautiful part. Um, if I say to you, you look beautiful, how do you really feel? Mm. What would you say? Oh, I, I, I would start with, thank you for asking. And that's because uh, it's so difficult for, well, I didn't answer the question, but I just want to say it's so hard for people, and some of you know this, when you're feeling, when you're feeling not well, but it's invisible, which most chronic pain and illnesses are, including cancer. Um, it's very hard to respond gracefully when people say, you look great, you look fantastic. Oh my, you're out and about, you're all well, you know, and that kind of thing. And so to be asked, how are you really feeling? It just, it goes to the heart of the matter. And it's just the kindest thing that you could say. So how do you really feel? Well, I feel as if I have the flu. Um, my body is uh, aching and my heart is pounding very hard, not out of, I'm not nervous, but that kind of uh, pounding. Well, think about when you have the flu and how your body kind of pulsates. And that's why it's hard for you to stay up for more than a little bit of time before you simply have to lie down. Uh, feeling a little dizzy and a little hard to focus. So that's how I'm feeling, but I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> There's another interchange, I want, I'm not sure I can do it to get with the words right, that you said that was very, um, was, a, was and is a, uh, an important part of your communication with Tony. Uh, with one or the other of you saying, I'm sorry I'm sick, and the mm. other person say, I'm also sorry you're sick. And then there it is, it's finished, we're both sorry. And then we move on, yeah. It took us a while to get there. It took me a while to write the first book because um, I'd already been a practicing Buddhist for 10 years, but all of my, the, I, all of my Dharma teachings just seemed to be, have abandoned me when I first got sick and, and didn't recover. I was just, I was scared. I was in denial. Sylvia was a great help to me uh, over the phone that uh, sentence I read where uh, Tony says to me, it's not your fault that you got sick. Sylvia used to say that to me, and it was so helpful that it took a while for that uh, turning for me to uh, accept that um, uh, as much as I, that ordering myself to get better wasn't working. And th this doesn't mean that I'm not uh, still seeking treatments and being proactive about my health. But there's a difference between um, skillful action and then getting attached, uh, clinging to the, to the results, and then just taking such a no nosedive that you live your life just uh, these constant ups and downs. Oh, this is going to work. Oh, my God. You know, and I mean, we do that about things other than illness. <laughs> We do it about relationships and new jobs and everything. And so um, Tony and I at first spent a lot of time uh, both 
just in terrible sadness and mourning, and it still pops up sometimes. But we reached this point where, uh, well, it happened one evening. He, he uh, came into the bedroom, and I just looked at him and said, I, I, I wish I weren't sick. And he said, I wish you weren't sick. And we both, without saying anything, entered into a kind of state of equanimity, really, where we were, uh, we had that wish, but it didn't have to be fulfilled. This was the way our life was. And we had each other, and we have a nice home with a roof over our heads, and so that would be our starting point. So that was a big, uh, I, I still remember that evening, Hmm. and where he was standing. It was a big moment for us. I'm watching your gesture as you show this, the, mm. this, which is really a gesture mm. of letting go. Yes. This is like how it is. This is yeah. it. Yeah, it's not, um, I did, it's not what I ordered up. And it's certainly not what he ordered up. Uh, any of you who are caregivers know that the life of a caregiver, well, in my view, my illness has been as hard and at times it's harder on him than it is on than it is on me um, because he's got double duties got his own life to live and he's got me to take care of and uh, he's also lost his friend out in the world if he wants to go to a movie he goes by himself um, I mean, he has some friends, but it's interesting um, most because we've been a couple for so long, a lot of people just see us as a couple and they don't invite him places. And I talk about that in the book. If you're the friend of a caregiver, <laughs> please invite that person. But, and I think there are lots of reasons. People may feel that he wouldn't want to go without me. They may feel... They have the best intentions. They may feel that I'll be hurt. Uh, so it's just that people don't know. And that's really what my, a lot of my writing is about, is trying to uh, hopefully let people know what life is like, both for someone who's uh, ill and for those, for those who take care of them and those that they're close to. It affects everybody. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about just as you were saying uh, that particular part about how this particular third book is um, uh, really more than the others full of what you might call helpful hints. Remember mm -hmm. they used to have helpful hints yeah. comments in, in columns in women's magazines. Right. Hints from Heloise. They, there was a big one. I love for, those. For a whole decade. How to get stains out. That's it. How to yeah. get the wine out of a tablecloth or something. But I, I want to read to you uh, the ones that I marked in the, ta in the table of contents which is itself fantastic. The uh, particular chapters, um, um, complaining is a recipe for suffering. That's true for everybody, not just for people with a chronic illness. How, what the want, when the want monster, I'll, I'll want you to talk about the want monster in a minute, whispers in your ear. Breaking free from stressful thinking patterns. Anybody here has stressful thinking patterns? 
Uh, when the blues come calling, anybody here has blues that come calling? When the surviving a bad mood with grace, who would like to know that? <laughs> Maximizing your chances of success at the doctor's office. How about that? Everybody gets that. Healing loneliness through mindfulness. That's especially important for everybody all the time. There are people who are lonely. It's coming on Thanksgiving. And everybody meets everybody and says, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And a lot of people are not doing anything. That's right. And they have, first of all, they feel awkward because we've asked them that. Then they have to say, I don't have anybody who invited me. Yes. So how even to say, you know, yeah. how are you? You it's know, hard. whatever. And let them, let it come out yes. without asking. Right. Coping with isolation during holidays and other gatherings, you know. All of those are, well, the whole book is actually for people, uh, in a certain sense, we all have the illness called life. So we are all learning how to say it's this way, it's not the way I want it. Yes. But for a certain yeah. pop, you know, I was thinking about it more since we, uh, our last conversation about this book together, that it, having, uh, another way of thinking about it is that people with chronic pain or illness have to do the same the same task of keeping their mind and heart together and steady with all the vicissitudes of life that everybody else has to do, but they have to do it out of a place of fatigue and discomfort. So they are operating with a handicap. Yes. They have to, and particularly a handicap where the mind feels it has the flu and can't think straight. It's definitely an extra burden. Yeah. yeah. That uh, is, like you said, it's a backpack that's it's permanently on your back. <laughs> now, I mean, there are some chronic conditions where you, there's remission and people have periods of ups and downs. Um, I don't. Um, there's been a, a sameness to this, which makes it difficult. I can't really, this is as far as I can travel from home. But uh, yes, it's, I, I, I think of, Illness is a metaphor for uh, all of the difficulties that, like you said, chronic life <laughs> uh, that people face. But it's true that this is um, an extra burden, both for those who are ill and for those who care for them. Not just the day-to-day -day caregivers, but friends and family. My children have been, my children are grown, they're in their 40s. But they've been so uh, strongly impacted by this um, that it, it's hard for them. Uh, I've never seen my, the house my daughter lives in in Los Angeles. And um, they, don't, um, they don't burden me with it. But I find out other ways, like through my 14-year-old granddaughter. <laughs> she sometimes shares with me how hard it is for her mother, my daughter. Um, because she talks to her about it. So it, it impacts, uh, there's, it ripples out <laughs> to lots of people. And one of the ways it ripples out that makes, that adds to the sense of isolation is that, um, that m many uh, friends drop away. Um, one thing about this book that's different from my first book was that the first, my first book, I'd never written a book, so it was really based solely on my personal experience, whereas this one, by the time I started to write this, I have 
I have thousands of emails from people from all over the world who've read my books, or I also write an, for Psychology Today Online, post once in a while, every couple weeks. And they write to me, and I've discovered that we have so much in common. And I actually relied on a lot of their, what they've told me for, in, to write some of these chapters. Like there's a chapter on the impact on young people of being chronically ill. Well, that's, that wasn't me, so I relied a lot on what others had written to me. But we all seem to have share, shared this experience of uh, some friends and sometimes family members just dropping out of sight. Um, uh, one of the people I lost was actually was, was my best friend at work because she's so uncomfortable around illness. And I think it traces back to the way she lost her mother and father very her mother just suddenly got sick and died unexpectedly, and so it traces back to her own life history. But at first, my experience of it was just, uh, I was angry at her, I was terribly hurt, I was, um, I, I was uh, caught up in self-recrimination. Who wants to be your friend when you're so undependable and you're canceling all the time? And, you don't have much energy to talk, that kind of thing. And it took me a while to come around and see that all of the people in my life, even those who've dropped away, wish me well. Mm. Um, and shedding, that's the letting go, <laughs> shedding that anger and resentment uh, brought me a measure of peace uh, because uh, and this is true with any situation in your life. People just don't always come through for you. They don't always do what you want them to do. They're not always the way you want them to be. Yeah. And, um. the, and, the, and, the, and the imperative in the one's mind that they should be, right. and the resentment. Really, yeah. you just said that so well a moment ago. The pain that that resentment causes in one's own mind. You turn it on yourself. And your, your yeah. ability to say, you know, they really do wish me well. They, they don't know how to. They're afraid of it. Um, it's, um, yeah. They don't want to be around. I'm thinking a, a lot about, for some people, it's hard to be with other people who are sick because you start to think, oh, oh this is down the pike for me. Yeah. which is really true for everybody in some or another iteration. I was thinking as you were saying that also, that your voice, as it is in this book and all the other books, is so um, unequivocally kind, mm -hmm. which is what I thought about the message and the, well, the medium, and the medium is the message in this book, that one of the things I, I discovered is, it's a, it's a, in some sense, it, it's formulaic. It says what to do, if uh, your doctor doesn't come through for you, what to do if your friends drop you away or something. And it's got instructions, do this, da, 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 relax in this and that way, bring this thought to mind. But then it says, if you can't do any of that, that's all right, whatever you do is okay. <laughs> and it says that many times in the book after a whole expository period where it says do this, this, and this, it says if you do, that's good. And if you don't, it's also all right which is really the, 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 the tone of kindness in a certain way. Something is different for those people who have not read the previous books, uh, but for those who have, 
What's different about this is it has more of the, in this situation, hints for Halloween, more of the, yeah. if this is happening, do this. And if that's, which I assumed came from uh, the uh, information you have from the thousands of people who wrote to you. That's how that, the organization of this book came about, yeah. taught uh, challenge by challenge. Each chapter is a challenge yeah. uh, that might present itself and what you might be able to do about it. And yeah. it's interesting because um, the title of my first book was just something that came into my own head. I actually started writing it as a manual for myself, how to be sick. I f and this was, I like to think of, I said I felt abandoned by the Buddhist teachings, or I'd abandon them, but I like to say they were waiting in the wings, and when I let the Buddha back in, that's when I thought, oh, I can, he can teach me how to be sick. And so that title just, uh, that's, that title was easy. With my second book, which is more of a book of just offering my understanding of the Buddha's path to peace. Um, my, I didn't want to call it how-to, because that's so many how-to books. Uh, but my publisher insisted. They said, that's you. You're the how-to of the Buddhist world or something. Also, I people know. want to know how-to. Yeah. Don't just tell me yeah. about it. Tell me how to do it. Yeah. I think that's what people So I, I really struggled to come up with a title for the second book, because I had lots of other titles in mind. But what I, where I'm going to with this is that with this one, there was never a question in my mind that it was going to be how-to because it is more practical. Um, and that results from everything I've learned from people all around the world about what, they've, what they face, because sometimes it's not what I face. A lot of them don't have a partner to take care of them. Um, there are women uh, whose partners abandon them with small children to raise, and it's hard for them to get out of bed in the morning. And that just ripples out in every way in terms of their ability to participate at, at the school where the children are and what are people thinking of them that they're not participating. I mean, I've. Uh, what I've learned from others has just been heartbreaking. Um, I realize that it's, um, I count my blessings when I hear from others. But I've tried try to use that and, and put it in the book in a way that will be helpful. And I, 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 I want to say that uh, we all often think of, well, not only for caregivers, uh, not only for the people who are chronically ill or in pain, but for their caregivers, but for everyone. Because my experience of reading the book again the other day, and even talking about it this morning, is much the same as the experience that I have every week when we talk about who in your life is suffering. And you hear, you, and you look at a room like this, looks like everybody's fine. But in their mind, they're carrying around this story of their partner, their child, their mother, their father, themselves. Uh, and if it, you know, I know people in, in this very room with chronic physical yeah. uh, pain and illness, yeah. but everybody's got other kinds of chronic mental pain. The first time I learned meta instructions, 
and I learned them in the direct translation from the Pali. It said, may I be free of danger, may I be, have mental happiness, may I have physical happiness, may I have ease of well-being, which I think is the more or less direct translation from the Pali. And now we don't say physical happiness and mental happiness because over the years, Westerners said that's a weird thing, you know, what's right. physical happiness or mental yeah. happiness. May I be happy and may I be healthy. But the difference between physical and mental happiness and just healthy and happy is it's, it's important. I mean, that free yes. of mental suffering and free of physical suffering that we could have both of those things and be, well, be so to speak, well, not be dying more actively than other people. Yeah. Well, I, well what I learned from the Buddha and I'm still learning is that um, I, I may not be able to do anything about my physical happiness, but there's a lot I can do about my mm -hmm. mental happiness. Mm -hmm. And that actually helps me physically because, you know, we, that's an artificial, it's a useful division, mind and body, but it's artificial to some extent. Everyone knows that the more stressful your life, that, that stress is felt in the body and emotions are felt in the body. And so, uh, uh, working on the mind is helpful to the body um, as well as being helpful to um, just your whole sense of well-being in life. I love, the, I have my metaphrases and ease of well-being is one of them because I heard Sharon Salzberg say it to almost 25 years ago and I, it's it never left my mind because it seems to be, there's something about that expression that says it all because it's so, it's a kind of everyday life. Uh, it, it, it's a, I like to think of it, may I have ease of well-being as I get out of bed, as I brush my teeth, <laughs> as I eat my breakfast. So it just covers, uh, I love it. It sounds so dated, but to me it's a beautiful phrase. I was looking for the Krishnamurti phrase. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't mind what happens. Tell yes. the story of that. You don't have to look at yeah. the book, you know it. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the last chapter in the book, which has a title. That's what I was looking for, the title. It's something like My Heartfelt Wishes for the Chronically Ill. And so I, I uh, offer my wishes. And one of them is, may you not mind what happens. And then I say afterwards something to the effect of, that may sound like an odd thing to say, but uh, it's something Krishnamurti said. And it was a story told to me by a friend, but as anyone, as is true for anyone I quote in the book, I had, I of course went to the internet and made sure that this was a true story. He was in front of um, a lot of his students, and I, I don't remember if a student asked him a question, but he, he leaned over and said, I think to the group, do you want to know my secret? Mm -hmm. no. I don't mind what happens. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's so revolutionary. 
That's so revolutionary. It has echoes of the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. It has echoes of the, a Zen story I heard 35 years ago about the Zen master confronted by a marauding samurai who threatens his life and and says uh, and who he doesn't get he d doesn't apparently startle and the samurai says uh, uh, why don't you startle I could don't you know I could run you through by a sword and he presumably says back I could be run through by a sword uh, and uh, don't you know I could be run through by a sword? Yeah. I, oh wait, wait I want to do it right I could run you through uh, uh, with my sword without batting an eye and the Zen right. master says I could be run through True by a sword this. without batting an eye and then you roll your eyes and you say whoa yeah. so you know <laughs> that's Zen no, that's Zen <laughs> it's the wonder but, of Zen <laughs> and never even mind that mm -hmm. never mind that yeah. <laughs> I don't mind anything. But even if we couldn't do that, I think mm -hmm. the, the truth is that in the end we startle. And when in the end, uh, who knows how we'll be in our, in our momentary end. Maybe we'll startle, maybe we won't. Uh, the, um, um, the, the Suzuki Roshi at the San Francisco Zen Master, mm -hmm. when he was dying, said, don't mind how I am in the moment of my death. If I carry on, that's just suffering Buddha. It's just what's happening is, you know, not a problem. Yeah. So you yeah. even get, don't worry if you can't do that, you know, heroic, right. you yes. know, far, far better thing kind of thing. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I, not a, every day I have, uh, every day I mind what happens. So this is just something that I, I bring to mind to help me get to that place of acceptance and not minding, but... Um, I wonder about that, everybody yeah. taking that on as a little bit of a, an exercise between now and when we meet again, perhaps you think about it. How many times in a day can you think to yourself, oh, I really am minding what's happening. <laughs> Could I fix that now? Mm -hmm. You know, the freeway was very crowded this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever yeah. else, it's not raining as early as we thought it would, I mind that. You know, yeah. that uh, yeah. and, and in that moment to say, can I turn this around, take something easy like that. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Sylvia was saying that I'm very forgiving and saying, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. I like to think of that, and I don't think that this is in the book, but this is um, uh, Zen master Sung San, one of the, uh, a Korean, Zen teacher who was maybe one of the first early Zen teachers in this country. Uh, and I remember reading an article, one of his students said that he told her to keep a try mind. Mm. Oh, what? <laughs> try. Try mind. A try oh, mind. Oh, oh, oh. To and try to. Try. And then if you can't pull it off, forgive yourself. Or say, I'll try again in an hour. <laughs> That's very good. I just, I mind too much. I mean, mm. when, the, when I got news of these, the attacks in Paris, there's no way I could say, I don't mind. Yeah. I minded a lot. And um, so, uh, but just in your everyday life, it's a little easier in your everyday encounters to be able to turn that around. But if you can't, you can't. All that ha when if you blame yourself 
uh, that just makes things worse. You know, I, one, of the, one of the things I've learned, and maybe this is just from being in bed, on the bed, by myself so much, is that we control so little in this life, but we can learn to control how we treat ourselves. And I just, I don't, I can't think of a reason for us not to be nice to ourselves. That's I a, can't think of a reason. That's such a, uh, I, I have an idea for what would be a good way for us to end this point. But that's such a good way to end it. And you probably have heard me one place or another say that the first time I went on the very first weekend retreat uh, somewhere in the Bay Area, uh, that was a very unpleasant experience for me for many, many reasons. I really didn't know what was happening. I was physically uncomfortable. I was having caffeine withdrawal. I had a terrible headache. And yet, I went back to another retreat and another, and 35 years later, here I am. They had a, uh, a poster on the fireplace in this private home where the retreat was. One of those things written literally into a wood burl that you buy in a store mm. in a national forest. And it said, um, life is so difficult, how can we be anything but kind? And I thought, well, if they teach this here, maybe it's all right. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll like it. Yeah. Um, I would like for us to uh, have you read the the very last Mayu. Um, I think minute. that may be Seneca again. No, no Epictetus. It. You mean this? May you make the best. Yeah. May you. Okay. What? May you? Yeah. And yeah. I want to say that um, Tony will read this and we'll sit for a minute and then I'll ring the bell. And then you'll stay should people want to talk to you or sure. buy a book and have you sign it. Sure. And ask a question. Ask whatever. a question. Now you uh, have something. I need to be on a group telephone okay. call soon after 11. So. Uh, I'll stay for a few minutes. Maybe, I'll, maybe do you want? Would people stay to do questions and answers, or do you want to do book signing and questions and answers all privately with Tony? Which would you like? Oh, we'll legislate it. The latter. The latter. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, yeah. Is I can give you books? my email. What? Is your email in your books? Well, it is, but I don't want you to have to. I don't want you to buy the book just to get my email address. That's why I started to look and said, "Well, no." no I want to buy your books and then you <laughs> okay, actually, it's my website that's in there. So um, I, I'm going to. I'll give you my personal email because otherwise, it will go into a box that is very full and takes me a long time to get to. So it's T O N I. It's, it's okay. T O N I. If you put, if you say T O N Y, it'll go to my husband. T O N I at D C N, which stands for Davis Community Network, D C N dot org. And put in the subject line something like "Saw you at Spirit Rock" or "Sylvia's friend," <laughs> something that will. Okay. Yeah. So, why don't you read oh, it? This so is a, this, this is, is the a... chapter, this last chapter, my heartfelt wishes for the chronically ill. And so this is the last one, and it, I guess you could say it's how the book ends. 
may you, and then this is in quotes, make the best use of what is in your power and take the rest as it happens. This phrase comes from Epictetus, who was born a slave in 55 AD in what is modern-day Turkey. As a young man, he gained his freedom, moved to Rome, and began to teach philosophy. When philosophers were banished from Rome in 89 AD, he left and started his own school in northwest Greece, where he lived and taught for the rest of his life. Despite seemingly insurmountable hardships, Epictetus lived a life of purpose, dedicated to helping others. My heartfelt wish is that all of you learn to make the best use of what is in your power and take the rest as it happens. <coughs> the way I see it, there's no higher purpose in life than to use what's in our power to be kind and helpful to ourselves and others and to be at peace with taking the rest as it happens. 